Welcome to episode 30 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level, played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski, Scott Harrington, and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as an athlete, being a great teammate, and part of a community. That's why Team Ohio's premier Tier 2 hockey program welcomes youth players ages 5 to 18 years old to join the nationally lauded program with reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. Last week, we had the opportunity to catch up with Team Ohio's uh, owner and U18 coach, as well as the U16 coach, Patrick Metzger and Matt Geib from Team Ohio, and they capped their pre-portion of the split season for both their respective teams, Patrick's U18 and Matthew's U16. Both squads went on to win state championships and secure a spot at nationals. It was awesome catching up with those two guys. It's always nice talking to Patrick. It was the first time that we had an opportunity to speak with Matt on the podcast. Um, And what they're doing uh, in the preseason to prepare – uh, those players for what we have now in the high school uh, level. Scott, you and I had a great opportunity to talk with Patrick, and I know, Lev, you you listened to it. You've known Pat for a long time. So, um, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, to listen to the way that they na- navigated their way through this difficult preseason uh, through a pandemic and still had, the, had the, the means and the ways to get their players to compete at the highest level. And it actually worked out kind of nice for them. They ended up with a lot more home games. Uh is the way it turned out. I don't know, if, you know, because of the restrictions were, were less maybe here in Ohio than they were in some other st- neighboring states, but they ended up with a nice uh, home schedule. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good catching up with them. And uh, like, I think I said on the, at the end of the show, it's I'm sure high school coaches like yourself appreciate having the opportunity to have some of your top players play 25 to 30 competitive games prior to, uh, coming to camp with their high school team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think Love and I both would agree with that. You know, there's one thing I did want to talk. I did want to ask Patrick and, and and see his view on, you know, the thought of sometime around January. We always kind of see a plateau, right? You know, I mean, at that point, kids have already played damn near 65, 70 games, it, and it's a fault to nobody, right? It is. It is just the way that high school or even college or pros. You know, I remember when we had. Uh, Dan Watson on and we were talking about the difference between college kids coming to the East coast hockey league and uh, uh, OHL kids coming. And he's like, those OHL kids are used to three and three, you know, four and four. Um, So when, when our kids get to the the January's and the start of February, you know, the plateau uh, effect can happen. Doesn't mean it always does, but I just kind of wanted to maybe get his, his view on that. And, and maybe one day we will. Yeah. And I thought it was also interesting. You know, I had a question prepared for him about how do you get an all-star team 
kind of concept with the high school players together. Don't say that word. <laughs> you know, to well, you know, taking the elite players from all the different teams and a bunch of uh, scoring line guys and get them to play as a team. And he said, no, we put the team together with that in mind from the start. We're not looking for our, our third line center. We're not looking for a, necessarily a, a power play guy, first line player. We want somebody who can, you know, be in that, you know, fill a different role within the team. And, and, and the team is constructed that way. I thought that was interesting. Absolutely. Love, you want to weigh in on what your thoughts were? Well, I, I think it's great that they played a lot of home games so that, you know, families didn't have to travel so much during this pandemic. And, and, you know, I mean, in one regard, the oppose some of the opposing teams had to travel, but, you know, it was nice. I, I'm sure financially for uh, Patrick, it was fantastic that he was able to stay home and, and uh, show his product. And, and, you know, Maddie's done a great job with the 16s and, and they had a successful year. You know, I know that uh, the all-star moniker is, is taboo with Patrick and, 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 and rightly so. I mean, you know, I, I listen to how he constructs his team. I've talked to him about it, to him about it uh, previously. And so, like you said, you know, we're going to hit a plateau. Maybe not everybody, but it can happen. It's not a fault. It's, but, and then again, like you said, in speaking with Dan Watson and, and some others have said it too, that the college guys practice all week and play on a weekend, kind of like what we do, kind of like what, some juniors do, but the OHL, the major junior guys, they're, they're running a normal professional schedule, if you will. And right. so, you know, Hey, the fact that we're playing hockey right now, for the most part, um, a few blips in the screen here and there, but the fact that we're playing hockey is just, a, is, is just a, a wonderful thing for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 but we're fortunate here in Cleveland you know, and, and I know other areas have those really good pre-post programs as well, but we're fortunate to have the program that Pat's put together, you know, when he took it over from Russ Dice and he's put it together and then he has a youth program. And he talked about now, this will be about the first year that those youth kids will be able to uh, be a part of his pre-post if they choose to be. So, you know, what a, what a great opportunity for our young men and women here in Cleveland that, that they can join this Team Ohio program and still get to the next level uh, if they want to. At the same time, though, and this is important, at the same time, to be able to play high school hockey for your school. And I think I think that gets lost in so many of these transitions. Like, oh, you have to go play here or you're not going to go there. Listen, man, we talked to uh, Mike Rupp, and what a great conversation that was when Mike Rupp said, man, why do people have to jump around? Yeah, You know, we're talking about a guy who played a very good career in the NHL and spoke to our listeners and us about, you don't have to jump around. You don't have to. No, nah, but when you pour enough sugar in a Kool-Aid, it tastes sweeter, right? I mean, let's, let's call it, let's, let's cut the brass tacks here. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest with each other and I don't mean the four of us here, but if you're going to be honest with, with hockey players and Mike even brought this up, there were points when he had to tell good players, I'm go I'm not going to take you and you will understand it later. You know, I know, uh, was it Charlie Gerard that said that Tim Alexander with the Barons told him the same thing. I'm going to cut you and it will work out better for you this way. And Charlie went on and, you know, hope God willing that the American league, uh, opens camp, uh, the pro opens camp, uh, 
when they expect to. And, and he's, you know, he, he even said it, he goes, I didn't understand it then. I didn't like it then, but it worked out. Like he said, it worked out for the best for me. And I think that, you know, I forgot who we talked to, you know, this being our 30th go around of it. And they said that, you know, when you get money involved and you have bottom lines to hit and things like that, you all of a sudden become blind to what we're really doing any of this for. And it's the betterment of kids. These are life lessons. What lessons do we want them to learn that money and uh, hitting your bottom line is more important than their growth. Now I know it's a double edged sword. Don't get me wrong. I know they have to make money to survive, but. Yeah, no, but yeah, their, their programs are nonprofit organizations. Sure they These are. are all non. Well, I'm just saying that's what they are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're labeled nonprofits, right? And I'm in Florida. So right? is the Cleveland clinic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. All right. But you understand what I'm saying, right? You know, 100%. so I, I just think it's, you know, and again, am I, am I pro high school? Yeah, I'm very pro high school. It's what I've been doing for the last 18, 19 years. And I also know that if you have a good pre-post and a really good high school schedule that a lot of our kids in Cleveland, Columbus, Toledo, Cincinnati, whatever, are able to put together, they're going to end up in the same spot. True. They're going to funnel down the same road. True. But ultimately, there's this big, huge discussion about that. And, you know, one, truth, truthfully, there's a couple of discussions that I thought I'd never want to have ever again, uh, that being one of them, and COVID-19 being the other, and now that's all we talk about. So, you know, but here we are. So, anyhow, great conversation with Pat, Matthew Guy. It was a really good talk. Now then, be able to see uh, Pat at the rink a couple of days uh, since. You know, he really enjoys doing it. Um and he told me straight up, he goes, Sully, I enjoy doing it just to talk about our program. I enjoy doing it because it's fun just to sit on a Zoom. I'd rather do it in person, but to sit on the Zoom and, and just, you know, shoot the shit and, and have a good time. So um, so that was good. So now we're moving on. We're in episode 30, which honestly, management, I can't believe we're here. When we started talking about this in March, I can't believe we're here. But here we are. Hey, he has not fired us yet, but concerning, he has joined us. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> well see, I, I was actually just thinking about that. And I really believe it's like we're being, you know. You have invited me this week. I was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's you? not throw, hey, <laughs> whoa, whoa, let's not go throwing names out here. But so a few weeks ago, I was kicked off because you needed to be evaluated. Then he dismissed <laughs> you for a week so I could be evaluated. And then again, I was gone for last week. I thought I was on the block. I thought, you know, well, guillotine, here it comes. Oh, and then wait. all of a sudden now he has to sit here and see how the banter works. And and he even said, well, I don't know if I want to jump on. I mean, I, I want to see how you guys do it. I want to make sure you're doing it the correct way. But how do you think, it, how do you think it's going to work with three of us trying to talk over each other? Well, we seem to work on all right. I don't you know. You know what? Hey, Jay, Danny, Danny, uh, producer Danny and I have worked in education for a long time. All right. I was, I was, I was a teacher for a long time and now I'm in administration. And as an administrator, when I have to go into a teacher's classroom to observe, it's usually not good. Yeah, no, I, it's I usually was not good. I was, I was driving home today and I thought, Oh, everybody's going to be on tonight. It's going to be a good time. You know, I kind of skated, skated away from work. No, no pun intended, skated off of work a little bit tonight. And I'm like, this is going to be so much fun. And then I was like, wait a minute, management's coming. <laughs> Well, you know, we would be dumb. This is and, fun. And, what are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> we would be dumb and foolish if we didn't start with management. How you been? What's going on? Oh, uh, well, as you saw with the picture that I sent to all you guys, 
uh, just putting the backyard together after that windstorm, ridiculous yeah. windstorm we had. Did you find your picnic? Was your table like together or that did is, it break? Or? Seriously, that is a very heavy table that I came back and looked to the right as I pulled into my yard and it was upside down in the bushes. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, for our, for our listeners that, so this is, we usually, we usually tape on a, a Sunday and it's Tuesday right now when we're taping because Sunday when those storms blew through Northeast Ohio, uh, I think all of us didn't have power or w- maybe one of us had it. Uh, Scott's yard looked like freaking Toto was flying around <laughs> in the wizard of Oz and um, there was those some cow fly by. Yeah, those were some nasty. I mean, nasty storms. They, they estimated seventy-eight mile an hour winds at Hopkins Airport. Wow! Wow! And I my son, I, he loves yeah. the uh, he loves to run down to Columbia Beach here. We're a couple blocks away from that here in Bay when there's a lot of waves and stuff. So he was oh, all yeah. excited. He ran down there. Nothing because the wind was going north, so yeah. the lake was perfectly flat. It was weird. Did you? So did you go yesterday? Because it was angry yesterday. Oh no! The, I didn't the lake. Oh, the lake was. Woo! The lake was not happy yesterday. Yeah, yeah. No. So what, that's pretty what, much it. Just uh, trying to get the backyard put back together, and then just working on trying to preview what seventy-five, eighty high school hockey teams in the next couple of weeks uh, on oh, Ohio hockey. Oh, 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 that reminds me. Yeah. I'll send you my preview here soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh shoot! So. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I was. I thought we did a pretty good job last year with how well we covered the high school hockey uh, leagues and divisions prior to the start of the season. It's weird. I've done the Ohio Hockey Digest. This will be the fourth season, and somehow high school hockey season just creeps up on me every year. I'm yeah. like, oh, <laughs> start here in a couple of weeks. So I'm trying to uh, I'm I'm trying to make up some time here, but the plan is to have a a, a robust high school preview up on the website not by thanksgiving probably that week after and then uh not next podcast but the one after to have a a high school preview here on the podcast that will complement what goes up on the website so that's keeping me definitely looking forward to that because you know obviously all of us here on this uh podcast are very uh um active we're ingrained into high school hockey so uh looking forward to that danny how you been uh, good. No, uh, no complaints here. Um, I don't know. We got change of scenery today. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the wife's sister is in town from Morgan and they got a, they got a hotel and you have to reserve the, uh, the pool at our increments. So Denise said, uh, you know, I'm going to take Emmett and we're going to go to the pool. Oh, so. They're swimming at the hotel pool right now, and I got the house to myself with two dogs and a nice little IPA and enjoying time. Well, that's good. That's good. How is is now is your sister in law in town? Why I why am I keep losing you guys here? Is your sister in law in town until after the holidays? Uh, I no, I don't think so. She came in Monday, and I think she leaves Friday. Okay, all right. She came in for a business trip. Oh, so un- she just she doesn't stay very long. She just comes Understand. in, gets her work done, and then heads back back to the West Coast. Understand, understand. Jay supporting the Boom Boom Tuck Apparel yeah. uh, from the Gerard Brothers. Uh, what's new with you? Oh, I got nothing. I'm Boom Boom Tucked out tonight, uh, supporting the boys. Um, 
I got nothing, man. Just a lot of work and uh, been missing the group, missing the boys here, getting on the pod and shooting the shit. But uh, no, nah, man, it, it's 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 no different than what we talked about in July. It's a hit or miss if we're going to play. And we were able to get on the ice again today, which was always a great time. And uh, I'm just excited to be back with you guys and, and not say too much so I don't get fired. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's, you're right. It's, uh, it's been a interesting week for uh, us as a, as a hockey organization. Um, you, you know, we, we, we decided to take a couple days off. Um, no, no COVID situations within the program, knock on wood. We just uh, wanted to kind of do our part to kind of stay away and, and hopefully curb this a little bit. It is, Jay, I, I spoke with you this morning. It is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm chasing my tail around every day, trying to put a schedule together, uh, and uh, and just every single day something changes, and and you know we'll we'll see what happens. You know, I I, I know we can't predict the future, uh, but I I hope that uh, all not just hockey, uh, but all sports, not just sports, but you know you know we have the arts too. You got to think about the arts at these high schools. We're supposed to be having fall plays being happening right now. And these, these uh, men and women that work in these arts and they're, they're, they're getting shut down too. So I know we think heavy about sports and, and cause that's what our podcast focuses on. Oh, I, I feel terrible for uh, the, the boys and girls and men and men and women that work countless hours uh, putting together a spring or I'm sorry, a fall musical or, or a fall drama and it just getting shut down. So um, you know, I, again, I know we talk a lot about sports on here, but you know, my, my heart goes out to all those people, including the coaches, but also those, uh, uh drama teachers and, and, and musicians and, and music teachers that put just as much work, if not more in as a coach. And, and then all of a sudden get shut down. So it is a tough time. I know, I know it kind of feels, and, and I, and I'm saying this because I have to make my beliefs myself believe this. I know it feels like we're kind of going backwards right now in the state, but, but we got to keep positive. Uh, I'm going to continue to try to keep positive because some days I have hard days. But, <laughs> um, last two days have been those hard days. Uh, but if, if we stay the course, stay positive, do the right thing. Uh, I think we should, you know, hopefully soon be out of this. So that's my rant. Uh, uh, again, uh, I, nothing just trying to, trying to get, we have no power at school. So we haven't been at school, which is, I don't know how you look at that good or bad, but, um, hopefully we can get back on because of the storms on Sunday. So, um, but anyhow, look forward to a great show today. Um, well, as college, college hockey is going to return to the ice this weekend. It's a perfect time for this week's guest to join us. Adam Woden is the managing editor of college hockey news. College hockey news is published with the goal of providing the most comprehensive news in statistics, analytics, information, and historical data of the college hockey available anywhere. The college hockey news staff includes professionalism who have worked in journalism for decades and who have covered college hockey for over 20 years. Adam has been covering the college game since 1988 and has since spent time as a play-by-play broadcaster for Princeton and Cornell, as well as professional hockey. He has worked on Westwood One's Frozen Four broadcasts from 2011 to 2015. Worked at United States College Hockey online for nine years and on college sports television's regular college hockey coverage for three. He's also worked for ESPN, 
including the 2004 Frozen Four game broadcast and 2003, 2004, and 2005 NCAA tournament selection shows. Looking forward to having Adam on today. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of a community. Go to TeamOhio.com to learn more. Well, boys, as the snow falls and it gets colder, let's see what's in the news on the Ohio Hockey Digest. Ohio Hockey Digest is looking for writers to contribute content for the 2020-2021 season. We need someone to cover high school hockey in the Columbus area. This is a great opportunity for a student looking for experience as a sports writer. If that's you, or you just like writing about hockey, contact Scott at OhioHockeyDigest.com. Lots of college news this week, so it is appropriate that we have Adam Wodan from College Hockey News join us in a bit. But we start with some bad news from the pro side of hockey. The men are icebreakers have folded. The team shut down two weeks before opening training camp ahead of what would have been their third season in the Federal Prospects Hockey League. The Icebreakers played out of Menor Civic Arena for two seasons and announced an average attendance of 652 over 23 home dates last year, up from an average of 374 in their inaugural season. Co-owner Dan Moon, who estimated he and co-owner Chris Borunsky lost more than $500,000 operating the team, said state and restrictions would have limited them to 122 people in the stands alone. Moon told Jeff Schrudel of the News Herald, we've been leading with our hearts. At some point, we need to start leading with our brains. Head coach Sebastian Ragnew declined an invitation to come on the podcast, saying that the situation was just disappointing and declined further comment. Well, guys, it's a sad day uh, in Lake County for hockey fans. Um, They had their team picked or almost picked. Um, the team was very accessible to fans and seemed to be on the right track. What's your guys' thoughts on that? I just think it's unfortunate. You know, they, uh, it, it can't be easy to, to make money, if, you know, with a pro hockey team at that level. But uh, the owners certainly stuck with it as long as they could. Um, that's a pretty big uh, financial hit to take over two seasons. There's only so much revenue you can generate in that building, I think. Um, but they said there was a great working relationship between the ownership and the arena and that possibly they could give it another shot at some point in the future. But uh, just, I think, rack this one up to uh, COVID casualty. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Uh, so you spoke to uh, Dan Wood, right? Uh, no, he, he talked to Jeff Shadell from the News Herald. So that okay. quote out of there is, you know, we'll give Jeff credit for that. Um, and that he said in the in the News Herald yesterday that, and the uh, the manager of the uh, Menor Civic Arena also said that it was a it was a great partnership. Um, but it's got to be hard. You know, they were losing money with six, 700 people in the stands. And now they're being told you can only have yeah. 120 people in there. I mean, what are you, you going to do? Right. Uh, so, nothing, nothing you can do. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I, I had a conversation with, with Dan Watson a week and a half ago and the East coast hockey league team has half, the, half the teams can operate with the fans that they're being told they can operate and the other half can't. Yeah. 
So like, I mean, I, I that's a, that's a major discussion there. So yeah, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> you know, especially an independent group, like, like the icebreakers, you know? Yeah. I give them, I give them credit for sticking in as long as they did. They they definitely put the best, best foot forward. And it's unfortunate because it was a, a situation where I think a lot of local, you know, good high school players locally, um that maybe went to you know didn't get drafted or go to ncaa d1 but went to kent state or ou or john carroll or something like that was a place where they could have played a little pro hockey um you know and, and stayed at home but uh it uh, just didn't work out right i feel bad for everybody involved from sebastian ragno to ownership to the players you know they what is it just about less than a month ago they had a uh basically a uh, tryout camp happened here in like a free, free agent camp. Yeah. Yeah. Free agent camp. And you know, those guys are trying to latch on everywhere they can. And and right when you think you have it and then the organization folds and, and yeah, I agree with you, Scott, and that, you know, chalk this up to a COVID loss. It's unfortunate. And and I don't, I, I think it's one of what we'll see more come down the road if we haven't already seen a lot already. Yeah. And say what you want about that level of hockey. It's obviously not the NHL or the AHL or anything like that, but those guys uh, play for the love of the game for sure. I mean, if you're going to play at that level, you really, you're, you're doing it because you love it. And so it's got to be very frustrating. I'm sure to those guys who were expecting to show up at training camp in two weeks. Yeah. The Ivy League shut down men's and women's hockey for the season. A total of 10 NCAA teams have said that they will not compete this year. The six Ivies, RIT, RPI, Union, and Alaska Anchorage. This will delay the college career of Bay Village native Hope Krasafi, who joined Union College as a freshman goaltender this season. It also throws a wrench into the plans of Ohio's own Curtis Hall, a former Youngstown Phantom and Boston Bruins draft pick, who is now a junior at Yale in the Ivy League. So here's a question I have about Curtis Hall. Does the NCAA, since since they, I know they're like giving these these kids another year, correct? Yes. I, read, I read somewhere where they're not docking them a year of eligibility. That's my understanding, yeah. Right, so does, does the NCAA allow kid like Curtis Hall to go play in the AHL for zero money on amateur status on amateur status and then come back next year. That's a good question. That that's, would be, an, that's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah. I know that you can play junior hockey if you still have eligibility left. He's a junior in college. So he's expended his junior eligible. There's a lot of high-end prospects that are going back to play in the USHL this year. Mm-hmm. He, that's not an option for him. And you're right. Under normal circumstances, he could either sign and play with the Bruins farm team in Providence starting in February, or he could go back to college, which couldn't do both. Right. So but they're unprecedented times. So maybe there uh, isn't a loophole that they put in there. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is Yale in person? Are they online? So if they're remote learning, he could remote learn and play for the HL Providence Bruins on an amateur status and, and still not violate any, you know, that's if the NCAA approved that. Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point the NCAA has to say it, it well, especially in the hockey world, cause it's a little different than, than some of the others, but it has to say, we, we, we can't, I mean, I know, I understand it's shut down, but we can't hold you back. 
Yeah. But it, and we surely want you to finish out your, your collegiate career. So I don't know. Good question. That's great a really question, good question for that's Adam Woden from the college hockey news. Maybe he has some insight. That is a great question. Yeah. I mean, that would make things a heck of a lot easier for a lot of guys. I mean, guys that are already drafted guys that are on the radar of their pro teams that, you know, they're, it's just a matter of when, when are you going? Are you finishing your four years? Are you leaving early? What does the, what does the parent team want you to do? Man, that's interesting. That's a good question. So. I only have a few of them here and there, so. Well, that's good news. <laughs> the Ohio State Buckeyes tied for third in the Big Ten preseason coaches poll. OSU was tied with Notre Dame for the third spot. The University of Minnesota and, and University of Michigan were awarded the top two spots in the poll by the league's coaches. Three Buckeyes received preseason All-Big Ten accolades. Goaltender Tommy Napier made the second team, while forwards Quinn Preston and Gustav Westland are on the third team. Wisconsin and Notre Dame played the first game of the Big Ten season Friday night in South Bend with the Badgers posting a 2 to nothing win. The Buckeyes get started November 23rd and the 24th at Minnesota. Hey, real quick to talk on real quick on the Big Ten. I read to where, and we know that Ohio, uh, Arizona State is joining the Big Ten just for this year to get games in. Yep. But did you guys also read, or maybe I read it wrong, or, or, or management, maybe you can help me out with this. I read that Arizona State, is traveling to every school and they're going to be the away, like the entire, there's going to be no hockey on campus at, in Arizona state. Is that, did I read that, that right? Is, that you is correct. Correctly. Yes. There'll okay. be two visits, two visits at each. I think there's actually seven teams in the big 10, two visits to each, uh, each school playing two games each time. So I think 28 games total, but they're, they're the road team all season. Wow. Wow. Is it, is it true? <clears throat> is it true that, no, the, oh, I think I'm, I'm hearing it a different way that the home teams are helping with travel for Arizona state. Is that wrong? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, okay. you would think, you would think that they would, they, I mean, if, let's say, let's, let's say, well, so, uh, majority of Ohio state is, is on remote, correct? I would imagine so. Like I, yeah. I mean, let, let's say there's a, like a dorm that's not even being used. Like, okay, well th that's where you go. Right. You know, then, then you go to this dining hall or whatever. It, it's, it, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that's what's going to happen, but to show some sort of, Hey, we'll help you out during these tough times. You think that might be the way, since they're going to have to travel, like you said, they're going to travel 14 times. Yeah. Well, if, well, if, if Arizona States were fully remote, they could be gone all the time. Maybe they're just, yeah, at campus. Mean, maybe they're just at campus to practice, to be hundred percent honest. They, they, they can do their online in their dorm or in their house home they live in. But they're there to play hockey, so they're just there to practice. They can go stay in, you know, they can go stay at State College for they can get there on a Monday, not play till Friday, and do all their classes online. And maybe Penn State helps with. Uh, we have a facility of computers that your 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 guys can use. We I'd love to know. I'd love to see this like this stat, right? And Scott, maybe in all honesty, maybe you can reach out if you know anybody. To, but I'd love to see the stat if that's truly going to be the case. I would love to know. They're they're kind of forming their own bubble. Like how 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 do they get through this time, traveling mm -hmm. as much as they have to, forming mm -hmm. their own bubble, instead of instead of just being all hog wild. You know I don't say right. hog wild, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I like that's an interesting interesting point. Yeah, we're really diving into some interesting stuff here. Like holy smokes, this is not unlike this is 
terribly unlike our normal podcast. <laughs> hey, hey Jay, 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 we're doing yeah. pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Keep it up. Keep it up. Well, we're impressing him. Keep keep yeah, yeah, thinking yeah. questions. Good text you sent me. Yeah. Ask him this. Despite losing Rocky Rivers, Charlie Girard to graduation last spring, Minnesota State was a unanimous top pick in the WCHA preseason media poll. Ty Agner's Bowling Green Falcons came in at number three. Falcons Brandon Cruz and Connor Ford received votes in the preseason Player of the Year poll, and BG's Anton Malstrom received some love in the vote for preseason Rookie of the Year. University of Michigan freshman defenseman Owen Power, who is expected to be among the top five players selected in the 2021 NHL entry draft, was not granted permission from Wolverines head coach Mel Pearson to try out for the Canadian World Junior Team this month. There is outrage north of the border, but if Power were to make the team and compete in the tournament, he would be away from campus for a total of 51 days and miss 10 college games. He was also just one of 15 blue liners invited to camp, including six first round draft picks. Dylan Holloway of Wisconsin and Alex Newhook of Boston College, both sophomores were given permission to attend the camp, which opened today, Tuesday, November 16th. Last week, we heard from Youngstown Phantoms forward Connor McGrath on his commitment to the Air Force Academy. And this week, the Phantoms had two more players advancements to announce as Bradley Merrick committed to Ferris State and Maumee, Ohio native Ben Schoen signed with Penn State. Merrick, a 20-year-old from Big Rapids, Michigan, is playing his fourth season in the United States Hockey League and his second in Youngstown. Schoen has yet to get on the ice with the Phantoms this season, his third in Youngstown. The 18-year-old is one of two Ohio natives on the team, along with goaltender Colin Purcell, who's from Shaker Heights. 18 of the 22 players who dress for Youngstown in Green Bay on Saturday have Division I scholarships secured, and that does not include Purcell or Schoen, who did not play. And I just saw this uh, this afternoon where Colin uh, signed his letter of intent to UMass. So congratulations yeah. to Colin Purcell. We had the opportunity to catch up with Miami Redhawks head coach Chris Bergeron on what his thoughts were of the state of hockey at Miami University. What are the some of the steps you think were taken last year in your first year as the head coach uh, at Miami? Probably the, my my second as a head coach, third in my coaching career of, of coming into a program where we've gone through a transition. Um, you forget how difficult that is. Basically, at the college level, you usually have somewhere between five and eight freshmen. Last year, we had... 27 meaning we were we, they were all new to us we were new to them expectation standards mode of operation and believe me i'm not saying what we've done before i got here was wrong or right i was here for 10 years of, of rico's 20 right. what i'm saying is it's different when somebody else is standing at the front of the room things are different and that makes it very very difficult on 20 year old people yeah. never mind the fact that the two assistant coaches, Barry Schutte and Eric Root, were the fifth and sixth assistant coaches that the seniors had been through, that the juniors had been through, and the sophomores, it was their third and fourth. Mm-hmm. So the instability and transition that Miami hockey's gone through over the last three years from a, just a coaching staff perspective, um, you, you, you cannot 
undervalue how difficult that is on on everybody involved. Um, you add in the fact we play in one of the most difficult uh, uh, conferences in college hockey. One of the most. I'm not saying the most. One of the most. Um, and our, our our talent level depth is not there. It's not. Uh, that's just the reality. Um, none of that is an excuse. None of it. It's just all real that we're we're, we're uh, eight wins is what we had last year. Not even close to good enough. The first half of the year, as you said, wasn't even close to good enough. But neither was the second. Uh, I, I do think we probably were a little more comfortable with one another the second half of the year than we were the first half. And then we, you know, like everybody else in sports everywhere, pro, college, minor pro, youth, the plug gets pulled because of this pandemic. And, and, and here we are, you know, six or seven or eight months later looking at playing a game on December 2nd. I can tell you, once we got through all the COVID-related issues this fall and got on the ice together, as the 2021 version of Miami hockey, the comfort level was, was, was black to white. It was, it was basically so much different in, in a, in a positive way. They know what the expectations and standards are of this staff. Um, they, they, they basically know what to expect when they come to the rink from a Monday through Saturday perspective, practice drills, um, systems, um, we introduced 10 new players to our team this year, three transfers and seven freshmen. Um, and they've seemed to have hit the ground running. Um, I'm not saying Scott, the, the, the winning and losing is going to be different. I have no idea what the winning and losing holds. What I do know is our, our group is, is, is much more comfortable with one another. They have their arms wrapped around the expectations and the standards. Um, and they are leading the way. The, the, the 18 returning players are leading the way to the 20, to the to the 10 new players. Um, we still don't have the depth in terms of uh, uh, our, our talent level that that I believe we we we're going to have. Um, and that's something that's on us. That's recruiting, um, and that isn't anyone's fault because when there's transition. Kids don't come. Kids change their mind. We change our mind on certain kids. We, 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 we part ways with certain kids. Lots of different things happen, Scott. That, that's, that, the, the, the transition is what's at fault to that. That's not anyone's fault. Um, that just is what it is when, when, when there's a coaching staff change. Um, so we feel more comfortable with one another. These boys know what to expect from me and from us. I somewhat know what to expect from them um and now we'll see starting december 2nd we play the number one team in the country and they are as good a college team on paper as i've seen in a long time in north dakota so we are going to not only is someone going to push back uh it's not like scrimmage in yourself anymore but it's somebody that arguably is the best team in college hockey at least on paper so we'll get a true taste of where we are real quick here and the the rebuilding process at the college level, you know, it's different than the pros. It's kind of set up to create parity where the the teams at the bottom get the first pick of players the next year. And yeah. in college hockey, you have kind of a chicken and the egg scenario where uh, you need to maybe win some more games to attract a higher level of recruit and and vice versa. 
Um, have you coached there, at a college level before? Because that's bang on. Yeah. You couldn't have said it any better. I couldn't have said it any better. And is there, uh, because it is kind of a longer, you know, Miami was able to stay up at the top for a long time, you know, more than most programs. And now if you're you're down in the, you know, where you're going through the rebuilding phase, is there any management of expectations that has to happen uh, within the program or even externally to your fans that are used to, uh, you know, a lot of success on the ice. Well, we can be honest with each other, Scott. Let's be uh, the last handful of years. The the the, the reality and the, and the, and the winning and losing and and the, the place in the standings hasn't been very good. Hasn't been what you're referring to in that ten. Well, it's probably that's probably a ten year span from or eight year span from '06 to '14, something like that. Mm-hmm. A bunch of winning. I was part of the 06 to the 2010. I know that they continued on, um, uh, but a handful as of late. It's I mean, all our seniors know is seventh or eighth place in an eighth team league. Um, unfortunately, our fans have gotten used to um, below average results. Um, I can tell you, our focus, our focus as a program internally is the process. The process is something that you, you talk about expectations every day. You talk about standards every day. There is no, um, you know, re, the, the reality to that is we expect, we expect to be great in everything we do on a daily basis, individually and collectively, period, period. We're not going to change that. A win or a loss here or there is not going to change that. A poor record is not going to change that. We are absolutely in the, in, in the, in the recruiting world at the college level, which is the lifeline. We are in that chicken or the egg conversation. We need good players to win games. We need to win more games to attract those good players. Miami has so much to offer both on and off the ice. But right now, winning isn't one of them. That's something that has to change. Do I, am I concerned what our fans think? No, I'm not. Unfortunately, right now, I'm concerned about the, the, the program, the state and the relevancy of our program on this campus and off. Now, I guess I shouldn't say, am I concerned what they think? Of course I'm concerned what they think. But I think the same thing they do. I do. I'm a, I'm a, I was a Redskin as a player. I was a Red Hawk as a coach. I'm back to be the Red Hawk, back as a Red Hawk as a coach. I want what they want. Yeah. I want us in, 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 in national tournament conversation every year. And, and that means we're relevant on this campus, in this community, in the college hockey world. And right now we're not. Either of those things. We're not relevant, and we're not in the, in the national tournament conversation. We want to get back there. And, and we're not resting until we do. But we, we owe that to ourselves and to each other. That's who we owe it to. That responsibility is ours. There's guys that have chosen to come here because of opportunity. You know, that's a good thing. We have plenty of it. Um, so, you know, again, we're going to take this in a small-picture approach. We're going to take it every day. We're going to try to get the best people in this program possible, develop relationships and trust amongst those people, and hold everybody to the highest expectations possible, which means a willingness to be great every day. And hopefully that process will get us to where we want to get to as far as results. I've seen it happen as an assistant coach here. I've seen it happen as a head coach on on a different campus. I believe that formula can, can absolutely work here. Our next guest has been covering college hockey since 1988 and spent 
much of his time as play-by-play announcer for Princeton and Cornell, as well as professional hockey. He has worked on Westwood One's Frozen Four broadcast. He's also worked with United States CHO.com for nine years and on college sports television, regular college hockey coverage for three years. He has also worked for ESPN, including 2004 Frozen Four game broadcasts in 2003, 2005 NCAA tournament selection show. Please welcome to On Air Podcast, Adam Woden. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, college hockey has obviously, hopefully, uh, gotten off the ground, uh, hopefully staying off the ground. So what a great time to have you come talk to our listeners about uh, where we're at today in college hockey and where we hope to be going with college hockey. So with that being said, can you give us some background on the college hockey news website? How did it start? When did it start? Uh, and how did the how did it expand in coverage? Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Uh, you know, in as you said there, I, I started with USCHO.com. That was in the mid-90s. We were all kind of together starting the when the internet was first really taken off. Uh, I split from those guys in 2005 to start my own thing at College Hockey News. So, you know, of course, uh, now it's competition. I like to think we're uh, we're better, but, you know, it is what it is. Fine. It's, like Coke, it's like Coke and Pepsi. It's okay. But um, so, but I mean, really the, the genesis of it all is that, uh, you know, college hockey was always the sport that was just below having enough interest for like ESPN to cover it all the time, but more interest than any other NCA sport. So it, like it, it really filled a void. Uh, you know, I, there was a lot of people who um, had tried their way with magazines covering college hockey in like the eighties and nineties, but that has a lot of overhead costs. So when the internet came, you know, really blossoming in the mid nineties, uh, it was perfect because you know, your cost of production really wasn't that much. And uh, but we treated it as very professional. Like, you know, we were like, we were running the sporting news of college hockey from day one. So so technically, it's not really my full-time job. I wish it was, but um, but we treat it like it is. Like, don't tell anybody because uh, well, most people assume that we don't have to. You it. just did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much it. But yeah, no, every every year it seems to get bigger and bigger. Of course, until last March, when uh, the brakes were pumped on everything. So yeah. So for our listeners, where where are you based out of? I am in Philadelphia, but, uh, you know, these days it almost doesn't really matter. A whole lot. Sure. <laughs> uh, it started because, you know, I was doing Princeton hockey games. Uh, I actually went to the Midwest for a couple of years uh, to do pro hockey uh, broadcasts and then came back. And that's when all the TV stuff you mentioned, Cornell and whatnot. But uh, I came back and worked for the Philadelphia Phantoms in the AHL. That's why I wound up back here. So ever since then, I just, uh, you know, with kids and whatnot, you just kind of stay where you are. Uh, but uh, close enough to everything where wherever I need to get to, I get to. And for a few years, I was traveling as Cornell's broadcaster, but I was still living here and just uh, traveling all over the place. What did you like best about on-air versus uh, print media, if you will? Hmm, I, you know, I love on-air because I love the live aspect of it. Um, you know, especially like even with, the, some of the TV stuff I did. Sometimes we were we would record it, and sometimes it would be live. And I always like the live stuff better. You know, I love I love radio in particular because 
no offense to all the great people I know in TV, but with radio, you're like by yourself with a mixer, you know, sitting there in a broadcast booth. You don't have to worry about the director and the stage manager and everything else. So, um, so I've always loved the, just the adrenaline rush of uh, being live in that sense. But, uh, you know, so, but there's all, always, of course, something to be said for being able to craft a uh, story and have some time. Although most of the situations I, I've, I've worked at newspapers before where it's all just like, you know, daily deadline and hurry up. But um, so we do a little bit of everything with college hockey news, uh, the longer stuff and, and the game night stuff. When, when you were doing the uh, TV broadcast, did you have a catchphrase that like, you know, like <laughs> obviously we just lost Doc Emmerich to retirement, you know, but did you have any catchphrases that, that got the, got the TV audience going and when they'd see you in the street or see you on campus or like, Adam, that, that was just awesome, man. What, what, I, uh, what there any lines that you could throw out? I, re I really did it, which is uh, maybe why it explains why I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, like my heroes were, were people like uh, Marv Albert, Bob Costas, guys who were like, and Marv, Marv did have the yes uh, thing for, for basketball, but uh, most of those guys are just pretty straightforward and, uh, you know, they, they were good because they were just very good at what they did and not necessarily needing any shtick so i that was always my uh not not that you can't be fun you know but uh i i just never 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 embraced any sort of catchphrase or anything okay well i, used, I, I remember Sorry. i don't mean to interrupt you I, I, grew, I grew up in, in a very heavy football family and we talk about announcers <laughs> and, and stuff like that but you I mean you yeah. get like keith jackson out, out there at the at the rose bowl yeah. you know and he's rumbling stumbling whoa nelly all that good stuff man <laughs> oh man alive man that brings me back I think I was eating a TV dinner on the TV tray back then. For the guys who make it work, it's great, but I never wanted to force it. So it just never, you know what I mean? Like I know people who would uh, really set, sort of force uh, whatever shtick they came up with and it would always drive me crazy. So right. for Keith Jackson, it was all seemingly pretty natural. Mike Lang makes it look so easy. And, and I was reading <laughs> about Mike Lang the one day and he was out, I think he was at Permani Brothers and somebody gave him a line they wanted him to say. And he said, write it down. And then he started taking requests and he tries to throw them in every game he gets a chance. But I used to have a guy, see, this is the difference between the rest of the country and like the Ivy League where I was broadcasting with Princeton and Cornell is that these Ivy Leaguers, I knew somebody, he would hand me a word like every, every other weekend and say like work. And it would always be like, like a really like shenanigans or something. Or like, like some, some like SAT word, you know, like work that in. Yeah, it's all very subtle. I'm with you. Every time they'd hand me a word from the Ivy League, I'd be like, damn, I got to look this thing up. I don't even know what this means. <laughs> I didn't go to the Ivy League. People always say, oh, you went to, no, I didn't go to Princeton. Oh, you went to Cornell. No, no. It, just, uh, it was all osmosis. It rubbed off on me. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I never, I, I was, I went to a D3 school, so. I was a janitor at Dartmouth College when I was 15, and that's as close as I got to the Ivy League. Hey, uh, Will Hunting was a janitor at Harvard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, the funny part was when Scott wanted to come on today, he said, I'm going to join you guys. And he said, how you like them apples? Like, okay, you do you, Scott. He's, and, and he's even, management. And Love even put it up on the, on the yeah, Zoom. Right on how the you like them apples? That's a requirement for all Ivy League janitors. <laughs> actually when he, earlier in, in the news we, we talked about a, a guy from boston college and you could hear the east coast come out of scott like crazy boston college 
But anyways, I want to jump back to to college hockey with you. Um, what in the God's name is going on in Michigan with Owen Power? <laughs> and and do you think that Mel maybe Mel Pearson's being a, a tad bit unreasonable with not allowing him to go to Hockey Canada for a World Junior? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I've known Mel a long time. I, he's a great guy. I love I like him. So it's you know I've I've talked to a bunch of people about. We had this long discussion on our own podcast, by the way. Uh, College Hockey News, if you want to look that up, but, um, and, you know, I, you know, I asked people, like, is there any bad guy here? And uh, everyone says, no, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of just a matter of circumstance, because if you think about, it, obviously, the pandemic has screwed a lot of things up. For that reason, they're getting kids to Canteen Canada's camp early, um, so that they can kind of quarantine them. And so that extends the amount of time. Then, then when you add in the fact that the college hockey season has been condensed, down to just a couple of months, you know, you were going to lose a boatload of games and uh, plus he's a freshman and lose a lot of uh, class, you know, class time. And on top of that, there was no guarantee he was going to make the team. I mean, he's only 17 still, you know, I I've talked to, again, I don't, I don't know the inner inner workings of hockey Canada, as far as their world junior team. Uh, I pay attention to world juniors once it's playing, but not in terms of, I pay attention to Team USA's roster, but not Team Canada. So, you know, I was asking, what do you made the team? And even though he's projected to be a top five or even higher uh, NHL draft pick, he's only 17. And so he wasn't really guaranteed a spot. I think that was the other thing involved there. It's good. You, you just saw um, Wisconsin let Dylan Holloway go. And uh, he's much more of a sure bet to make the team. But even then, there was some question. And Tony Granato, uh, the coach of Wisconsin, was struggling with that. So, like I said, it's a, it's a tough call. I can understand all the sides of the argument. I can understand everything. But, uh, you know, Power played last weekend. He looked good. And uh, it, is, it is what it is. I'm sure he'll, he'll be fine. Do you think it was a combination of both coach and player coming together and kind of working it out? You know, maybe, maybe Owen didn't want to take the chance of being away, like you said, being away from school that long, being away from the team that long with no guarantee and coach maybe put a few things in his, in his mind that maybe he didn't think of, and it was a mutual idea or was it just, no, nope. I think um, from, from what they told me, they had many conversations. Uh, I don't know if they can do face to face these days, but with his parents and Owen and Mel were all together. Uh, and I don't know if Owen power, agreed per se or if he just reluctantly sort of agreed but uh you know i think the family was kept informed and and did agree to some extent that uh you know it's it's a tough call but uh all things considered stay at michigan so i, I have a question in, in in your professional uh thought here will the world juniors even take place <laughs> Dude, I don't know tomorrow if there's, you know. <laughs> yeah, trust me. When you when you listen to this podcast, I, I kind of went off a little bit in, in the in the intro about, you know, I feel like I'm chasing my own tail half the time. But but when when you guys uh, called, so to speak, I was just in the middle of writing up a news story for College Hockey News about three more teams today postponing. Gosh. I mean, that's on top of the union canceling their entire season, but three other teams postponed for a couple weeks. Can you share? Uh, yeah, Vermont is one, right? Who, who else? What's that? Vermont is one of them, right? Well, that was, no, no, that was yesterday. I mean, we're, oh, we're, this on, is... to, we're on to today. Okay. So who was it today? <laughs> today it was Sacred Heart, Mercyhurst, and Colorado College. So, 
you know, and uh, Colorado College is supposed to go into this bubble in uh, Omaha yeah, that starts, the first game is supposed to be December 1st. They just had a two-week shutdown. December 1st is two weeks from today. So that sounds like that's out. And um, this is all, you know, and again, whether you agree with this or not, th these programs are shutting down for like, either precaution or for like one case. And that's the part I don't understand because again, whether you, you know, I, I happen to think that the you know virus is something you should take seriously, but if you're going to do all this work to put these things in place and you shut things down for one case, what's the point? I mean, you, you should just, you should have a protocol in place to isolate that person and keep going. So I don't really know. I mean, from, you know, that was my question all summer. Like, what's going to happen if there's one case? Are you going to shut? And this is the direction we seem to be going. And so, you know, I felt like you should, if you're going to start up, just, you know, make it work. I mean, these are all high tech institutions with uh, lots of great doctors and scientists on campus. They can figure it out. But uh, it's, it's leaning towards uh, shutting things down more quickly than not. Yeah, when I first when I first reached out to you last spring, yeah, I think it was, uh, you said you'd be happy to come on any time, but you didn't think there was going to be a season. And I thought, come on, <laughs> that can't yes. be. People called me Mister Doom and Gloom for Mister Doom and Gloom. Yeah, uh, I, I like I like to think I'm just realistic, but um, you know, I, yeah, I thought you know honestly everything everything that I've pretty much a lot most of what I said back in the spring has panned out, unfortunately. I mean, it's not like I wanted this to happen, believe me. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people just didn't want to come to grips with the icky reality. Uh, no one ever does about whatever the topic is. And so they couldn't really fathom that, that was this is all going to happen still uh, eight months later. But I just, I guess I read the tea leaves and uh, so it's possible. <laughs> I'm, I'm still hoping that uh, we get, like I said, I, I I take it seriously, but I really think there's a way to a way to play and a way to keep going. Um, but it, it requires really having the fortitude, I guess, to to not get spooked by one case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess to answer your World Junior question, I mean, God only knows. Uh, you got you got teams coming in from all over the world. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what what December and January is going to look like. Right. So, so the reason why I asked that question was, do you think that played into the decision? for Owen to say, well, you know, I, I can be safe. I can go through my freshman year at 17 years old uh, because there, the possibility of the world juniors, like, like you just said, Adam, you got teams all over the world coming in and hell, we're not even allowed to go state to state anymore, <laughs> but yet you're going to converge on one area with all the, these different guys from the different world. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if, if his thought process was, you know, I'm not willing to take that chance this year when yeah. when only a month and a half from now we're supposed to be playing this tournament. He probably doesn't care per se from a health standpoint. Like he probably would have gone, you know, now he's probably not worried too much about that. I haven't met met a whole lot of athletic 20 year olds that really or 15 who care one iota. But I mean, like, but, but I understand what you're saying, like from a standpoint yeah. of like it may not happen. So why bother going? Yeah. Right. Right. So so uh, you, you you missed 51 days on campus. You missed yeah. 10 or or plus games. Uh, you probably have to then come home and quarantine for 14 to 21 yeah. days, right? So you're missing a total of maybe 80 days for right. something that you are not sure. And if, if we see the way that it, that it's working, it's probably less than 50%. It's going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. no, I agree. That's uh, it's a good point. And it's probably, yeah, 50-50. That's it's probably optimistic. Uh, but I'm crossing my fingers. I mean, the World Juniors is a great tournament. Is is the World uh, Juniors being played in, in Alberta? Yeah, it's... Because uh, I, thought I, I thought I was reading early on that they were bubbling all the teams in Edmonton, similar to what they did right, for the NHL. Right, which is why they're starting it so early. I mean, they're trying to get everybody in there and quarantining and so on. And that's why they have to be in there for a while. So, um, but, you know, so in a sense, that's good. Um, but I just, you know, things could be worse off from a global standpoint in December and January than they even are now. So, uh, you know, you got balance offsetting factors there. Yeah. You know, it, 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 like I said, it requires people to stick it out even when things get a little hairy, but do you, if do you stick do it you, out then. Do you think that's because they spent so much time worrying about how not to get sick and not enough time of, okay, we're going to go with this. What do we do if somebody does? Yeah. Like, it's, it almost seems like there is no, there is no plan for anybody. If one case comes up, it's like, well, why weren't you thinking that? I, I was saying that all summer, so they didn't listen to me. I mean, I guess, but if they did have those plans, if the or if they did have that conversation, then their their apparent answer is that that's still not good. So, okay. I mean, to me, the discussion should have been, what do we do, and how do we mitigate if that you know isolate the person, yada yada yada. But that doesn't look like it's happening. So, yeah. you know, hopefully, I don't know. I don't know how you get zero. I mean, I, I haven't seen it's almost inevitable there's going to be cases here and there, you know? Right. Right. Um, so I, I don't know how you get to zero. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like you said Colorado college, I was thinking it seemed like it was more an East coast thing or I didn't like the whole Ivy league shut down. I didn't know if that was an Ivy league institution well, kind of mindset or if it was a geographical thing. Well, here's the weird thing. I mean, if, you know, it's, it's <laughs> You can have, all again, all opinions, 50 different opinions on this as one. But, you know, the worst part of the country right now is like North Dakota. Right. <laughs> but there's no chance in hell like North Dakota is stopping their hockey team. Right. And, and like <clears throat> one of the better area of the country is is uh, Vermont. But Vermont didn't even have any cases. They just out of an abundance of caution for the, you know, or response sense of responsibility, they said for the exploding case, you know, it is increasing in New England, but it's not where North Dakota is. Um, they, they, they decided to shut things down for a, for a month. So the places that have the least amount of cases are shutting down more so than the places with the most because they just so happen to be schools that are the type, whatever you will, uh, like Ivy League schools who are, uh, I guess, more careful uh, you know, much more uh, subservient to the pandemic. Uh, for better, again, I'm not even making the value judgment on it. I'm just pointing, you know, like, no, like RPI and Union, for example. I mean, they're, you know, they, they consider themselves more academic-oriented institutions, I guess. They, they like to rub shoulders with the Ivy League. So they're among the first to shut things down. But, uh, you know, the, the schools in the Midwest that are really in states that are having major problems, they're just plowing right along. So, uh, you know, and the thing is, the Ivy League schools, 
are the places that have like the most elite scientists and doctors <laughs> around. And 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 in a place like Cornell, and I know I know there's no way on earth like the athletic director at Cornell wants this shutdown to happen. But they the president and they're going along with what the Ivy League's doing. But Cornell actually implemented some a really good uh, testing procedures and uh, tracing procedures with their student body. And uh, they've had very few cases on the Cornell campus. So, it, it, and they've done a great job. I mean, and it, uh, a lot of people wondered if it would work and they had all their scientists and whatnot, like figuring out the best way to do it. And uh, lo and behold, it worked. And so it's really a kick in the teeth, like to the athletic programs, like they did everything right and still uh, see their seasons being taken away just like basically out of like a precaution. So, so, so I'm go sorry, ahead. sorry. Go I was, I was just going to ask a question about these teams that are getting shut down um, for COVID reasons or for precaution or whatever it may be. Right. I get, and, and again, we're, there is no platform on this podcast of whether it's good, bad, wrong, right. whatever. Um, but we have a local kid uh, out of Cleveland that plays for Yale, Curtis Hall. Okay. Right. And Curtis is part of the Boston organization and, what, what do you think the, and again, it's probably not a chance, but what do you think the idea of, of teams like Yale who shut down and, and you allow a kid like Curtis Hall or whoever is in those uh, organizations to go play in the AHL that they're uh, attached to amateur status, but they have to be in class remotely like they are now. You know, I wish they could work that out. That would that'd be a tremendous idea. <laughs> Uh, you know, the NCA has rules that basically say it doesn't matter whether you get paid. If you're competing against pros, then that taints you. So, again, I don't necessarily agree with that. But um, so I, I would imagine that and now they're, they're passing all these like emergency stipulations and waivers and whatever else. So, you know, I, that's that makes too much sense. Uh <laughs> for it. I just I don't see that uh, anyone pulling the trigger on that. Yeah, no, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it just to me, you have these kids, uh, and they're not even kids, but they're I mean, they're they're adults. But you have these these guys that now have to not compete for an entire year, and right. they they are used to competing at the highest level, and some of them are, are gonna are, are fighting to compete at the pro level, but yet you got I mean the, the NCAA. And these colleges that are choosing to be careful and choosing to take uh, precautionary, you know, chances, whatever, they have to provide something for these kids. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, and uh, it's interesting because RIT was one of their, you know, tech school in Rochester, New York. They uh, they were shut down uh, like last week, and they like the team successfully petitioned the school president today to change his mind. So RIT is going to play. <laughs> Now, RPI is trying the same thing. And I don't know if that'll be successful. Probably not. They're, they're more stubborn at RPI, I believe. They were one of the first to shut down in March in the first place. Um, so, uh, but, but, the, but the petition that's going around, I saw it and it was actually very well stated. Like, you know, I, I'm a believer that the academics of the student athlete in the NSA is important. And I, and I, uh, and I love the fact that these guys are both. And uh, I think they, take great pride in the fact that college hockey has uh, very high uh, graduation rates. But the fact is that 
it's not either or. They are there. Let's not be stupid about it. They are there because they're hockey players. That is the only reason those players are at RPI and not somewhere else. Again, they're there for the education too. That's tremendous. But they are there because they were recruited to go there to play hockey. So, you know, you would never, you're not going to tell the uh, chemist on campus that they can't use the chem lab uh, during this time. <laughs> so what you're doing is you're, you're telling them that, you know, that, that part of their pursuit, their overall, you know, makeup of why they're there is, is not able to be pursued during this time. And uh, again, I take the virus very seriously, but there are ways and uh, like, yeah, like you said, this, I mean, what you're going to see, I think, out of these Ivy League schools and the RPI and so on is that they're going to be set back for a couple of years at least. Yeah. A guy like Curtis Hall, he's not going to stick around. I mean, he's going to he's going to go somewhere. He's going to leave Yale one way or another, whether it's to transfer or to uh, go to the AHL and um, or even to the East Coast League if he has to. Um, you know, I assume they're going to start playing eventually. Um, so so they're, they're going to just lose all these guys. And uh, I don't blame them. The coaches don't blame them. It is what it is. But uh, it, it, it does stink all around pretty much. So it's a great point. A lot of guys, the kids who have uh, junior eligibility left, there's already a bunch that have gone back to play in the right. USHL. The other guys like Curtis, and we're hoping to touch base with him here on the podcast soon. Um, they're going to find a place. To, he's not going to take a year off. He's, he's right. You know, can't. Yeah, you can't, right. So is the what if RPI returns, are they gonna have their goaltender Owen Savory or the fact that he entered the transfer portal? Does that take him Yeah, there's no way they're gonna can you I go mean, back? He's right. gonna be gobbled up by uh if he doesn't go pro, he's gonna be gobbled up by another school pretty fast. He's he's really, really good. Um, you know, he just gets doesn't get a lot of recognition. RPI hasn't been good at a national level in a while. So yeah, he's he's gone. I mean, you know, RPI's you know, you think about it, RPI, just, you know, Cornell's a good, Cornell has almost got it the worst. I mean, they, they were on the verge of a national championship last year. Uh, Morgan Barron was going to come back for his senior year and try it again. But it, when they, he realized like in June, like the, the next season might not happen either. He just, he, he left for the Rangers. Cornell was still in pretty good shape to have a really good team this year that gets taken away. I mean, and so now you're going to lose like all the recruits that you got, all the, you know, freshmen that were, that are NHL draft picks, they're all going to leave. And now you're like two, three years before you had to build it back up again, when you were this close to a national yeah. championship. Yeah. Yep. So one more, one more COVID negative question. And then uh, we'll get off of it, management. It's over. Stuff. Get over uh, it, management. <laughs> has this, uh, has Alaska Anchorage played their last game because of this? Well, they got mad at me when I said yes, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I actually have, after I'm done with you guys, going to talk to their coach, uh, Matt Curley, and see what's going on because, you know, he was resigned to the fact that uh, this would be the last season when I talked to him when they announced that their program was shutting down after this season. Um, so then this fundraising effort started by fans, which, you know, I'm skeptical about. Then they, then they shut down this season. Um, so I'm curious now, like if, uh, if Matt Curley's even going to stick around and if not, then I mean, that, that pretty much tells you that the fundraising efforts have no chance. I'm pretty skeptical. Um, you know, whenever I say that, they, you know, the, the people, they get mad at me because I'm being a pessimist again, <laughs> doom and gloom, but it's really just realistic. You can raise, you know, their goal is to raise $3 million 
and that would uh, be enough to fund the program for two years. But then what? You still don't have an arena. You still don't have a conference. It's the same thing with Alabama Huntsville. It, it, unless you have 50 something million dollars and an endowment, you're totally up a creek. So I'm sorry, I have to be the one to break that to them. But, you know, so I, I guess to answer your question, I don't know. It's possible that the $3 million, they, they play for a couple of years as an independent, but I don't see the point, to be honest with you, if uh, there isn't going to be a long-term answer. All right, like, like, like I told you guys earlier, I'm done chasing my tail around with this COVID stuff. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about expansion. Right. Okay. So the Alaska schools may be dropping hockey, as we talked about, and, and I'll let you be doom and gloom with that one. Uh, but there are some schools that could be adding Division One programs. Arizona State was an unbelievable blueprint of how to do it, right? I mean, but then again, if, if the four of us or five with Danny and I are going to talk about it, why the hell wouldn't someone want to play Division One hockey in Arizona, right? I mean – Give me yeah, a break. I was, all scared. I was all set to go out there for the uh, tournament they were going to have in Phoenix in January in January with Cornell and uh, a couple other decent teams, kind of Maine, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I would go for that reason. So, so just, just to go for a week. Could, could we see more of the power conferences uh, like the Big Ten, the Pac-10, the SEC? I mean, those are the big conferences, the power conferences. Can we see them adding schools? Or I'm sorry, adding uh, programs. So my stock answer to this is I think that would be cool to see a lot of those teams do it. But uh, because I'm a contrary Mary, as usual, um, whenever like college hockey powers that be like, you know, talk about we got to grow the game, we got to expand. I'm always like, why are you so hyped up about that? Like if, if they had 60 teams forever, I, I'd be totally happy with that. I, I love college hockey. I know all the coaches. You know, I know all the people in it. What's wrong with the way it is? But um, is it fun to see uh, some of those big, big schools come into it? Yeah, I think it would be. But I don't I don't get like that hyped up about it where I'm like, it has to happen or else college hockey is doomed or something. So um, as far as will it happen? I mean, it takes a lot um to make it happen illinois was very close to announcing something yeah they have that campus they have that they have that rink right on campus they could have done it well i mean i think there's plans to do something downtown champaign right i mean i know they've had uh i've actually seen the minutes of meetings uh from of the downtown of the uh town where they talk about it but uh it got put on the back burner i guess with everything else going on so so uh, so i I don't mean interrupt you adam but was that going to be something uh pre-COVID? Yeah, well, it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And I, I, I heard in at, when we were in March, I heard that they may say something at the Frozen Four that year. So, and I usually am not one for, I usually am the one who's like, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But yeah, right. I, there was a lot to the rumor at that point uh, to give it validity that there was something they were going to announce at the Frozen Four. So we never So, so, so there, there you go. You got another ACHA team, right? right. Like, Pe- like Penn State was ACHA. You got another ACHA team that's going to make that leap, you know, right. like Penn State, Illinois. I mean, Arizona I mean, State too. Arizona State. You you almost have to look at a school, and I mean, obviously we're Ohio based, but you know, OU, Ohio University. Like, well, could they, they used to have a team uh, back in the seventies, sixties? Right. Um, Penn State too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, Kent State. Uh, that was yeah for sure. And but but um, but as far as like the bigger schools, I you know, I've done I've done a lot of historical research. I mean, a lot of those West Coast schools used to have teams in the 30s and 40s. World War II kind of ruined a lot of it, and it never came back. But schools like uh, USC, UCLA, uh, Pepperdine, even um, Gonzaga had a pretty good college hockey team in the 40s. Uh, even sent a player to the NHL, believe it or not. Um, uh, Washington, University of Washington. I think those, I mean, if you look at like junior hockey in the state of Washington, it's pretty big. Uh, so I think I'd like to see Oregon and Washington do it. If I had to pick, if I had to like wave the magic wand, I would like those guys to do it more than that. I, I've heard UNLV uh, trying to do something. With what about a school? Things. What about a school like St. Louis University, where St. Louis hockey is blowing up? Another another school that used to have it until uh, the late seventies, I believe. Um, and you know, there was a lot of issues going on with the Blues at that time, so the the cooperation they were getting with them kind of fell apart, and that's why they they stopped having a program. But you know, Lindenwood, which is near St. Louis, has a yep. women's program. Yeah, they're, so they're right, right down the road, St. Charles, Missouri, right yeah. down the road. Yeah. So there's always been talk of them, and I those rumors are starting to heat up in terms of them becoming a D1 program for men. Navy was another one that was on the verge of announcing, and again, the pandemic stopped that. Uh, interestingly, the there's a, a consulting company that uh, works with a lot of these schools that tweeted something out like two weeks ago saying that they were working with Navy on moving to D1. And it was immediately deleted like an hour later, within an hour. <laughs> Navy denied the whole thing. I'm pretty sure that's poppycock. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that's in the works. But again, the, the pandemic is holding it up. So uh, another one I'd love to see is like the University of Tennessee, uh, University of Georgia. I mean, all those things would be awesome. But I, I just I'm not holding my breath on these things because it takes so much money, uh, usually an arena you know, that's the biggest money factor. Like I've got to believe they can make money though. They've got, you and think, you, you look at think, Southern right? California, uh, Texas and Florida, they're cranking out hockey players now. But I mean, Penn state, like, I mean, for decades, like Joe Batista was the, the club coach there. And he was like, you know, he would get some support from Joe Paterno and every now and then it was kind of like, you know, just like pennies. And he, you know, at the, at, at the snap of a finger, like Paterno could have been like, guys, why don't you spend 50 million on a ring? But, you know, they never could get, and so it took like the $90 million donation from, you know, a multi-billionaire oil magnet or whatever he is, uh, Terry <laughs> Pagula, to, to get it to happen. So you're right that these schools could do it, but uh, I don't, I don't, I think they love, you know, just keeping it for the football program. So, so I, I have just two quick questions uh, on expansion, if you don't mind. Why, why is it that we've been talking more about ACHA teams that expanded division one, but yet you've got teams like, like university of St. Thomas uh, in, in St. Paul. That's a great division three program. I mean, could, could, could a division three program make that leap? Why is it easy? I don't want to see, it's not easier, but why have we seen these ACHA teams be in the talk, Penn State, Arizona State, Illinois, but yet you've got teams like uh, St. Thomas. You got Utica, that's right. got a beautiful arena right. that plays hard every day. I've actually heard rumblings that Utica may be investigated. But see, here's the thing: um, so 
there is an actual answer to that question is that the, in order to do that nowadays by NCA bylaws, you have to move your entire program to division one. So the days of being allowed to just move one program to division mm. over uh, that ended like 10, 15 years ago. So, so St. Thomas is moving their entire athletic department to division one then in order to accomplish that. And most of these schools, even if they're good in hockey, don't want to do that. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's why you won't see that happen. You might see it happen every now and then like with St. Thomas, but, uh, it's not going to be a, a lot. So I think that's why the focus is on these big schools, uh, you know, college hockey Inc tries to sort of help, uh, push those schools along to do it. Um, but you know, really it, I, I think it's a win for any campus any like Washington and Oregon using those examples. If they did it, they would make money, but, uh, pulling the trigger on a $50 million arena, I guess is, uh, is kind of hard to hard for these schools to do. Right. So, so we talk about, uh, the new bylaws and understanding that. So when we, when we first started doing this podcast back in March, I, I'll never forget one of the first news items that we talked about was, um, Long Island University starting a Division One hockey program uh, when all we heard about was New York City was going to blow up because of this pandemic. But yet they're going out there trying to recruit kids to come to Long Island to play hockey. Um, obviously, it was crazy short time that they announced the program and got it started. Uh, when when the story first became a, a announced, did you think that, I mean, did, what was your idea of this? Like, what was your thoughts? <laughs> well, if you, I know what mine was. If you, I, go I, on, if you go on college hockey news, you could see my thoughts because I wrote a pretty big uh, editorial in April when it was all announced, basically calling them bonkers. Uh, there was nobody in hockey who thought that it would work. Uh, they, they all thought they were nuts uh, to be announcing it during a pandemic, let alone even if it wasn't. Um, and honestly, the fact that it worked to the point where they actually have a team right now and they have a coach uh, is kind of a miracle. And <laughs> it's only because the, the guy they picked, Brett Riley, it has done an unbelievable job. Like, you can't even imagine the stuff he's done to get that to work to the point where he has a roster. And if it wasn't for the pandemic, actually, they probably wouldn't have a schedule the pandemic actually helped them because they're scooping up games against teams like, you know, can't play anybody else. <laughs> um, so that's oh, ironically, wasn't their first game canceled because. Yeah, of right. Well, it's true. And actually the funny <laughs> thing was they, they almost had the first game of the 2020, 21 season. Uh, that would have been the biggest irony of, of it all, but uh, that game got postponed as well. That was against army. Um, goes to show you that even that army with the most regimented, uh, bunch of cadets there are they can't keep themselves virus free so yeah so liu absolute bonkers in saying that they even tried it i think that honestly i think it was total naive behavior uh clueless if you want to be mean about it <laughs> uh very nice guy their athletic director but absolutely no clue uh what it took to uh, create a division one hockey program he never even talked to anybody in college hockey he just like said okay we're gonna do this like what yeah uh, I, I, I remember i remember saying to jay on the podcast like you you know as a hockey player coming out of juniors like you want to play division one hockey yeah <laughs> and in in march they come to you and say hey we got a scholarship but you got to come live in long island 
<laughs> Hell no, I'm not doing that. You're nuts. Anyhow, I, I am from Long Island. Let's watch it, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean it that way. But in March, pandemic let, based. Let me, oh, let me tell you, it was pandemic based. Yeah, in yeah, March, yeah, yeah. people are running out of that place like it's on fire. <laughs> and yeah, we want it, We want you to come in, and, and this is where we want you to live. And and you're right, Adam. The fact that they made it work, yeah, it, it's insane. It's uh, it's, it's insane. almost uh, it's a miracle, really, honestly. And, and it's a lot of luck. Uh, it was yeah. not. It was. Let's put it this way. It was not because of any doing by the athletic department. <laughs> they, they lucked they lucked into having a coach who worked his rear end off for six months to like make something out of nothing like i'd like to talk to him and understand how he could sell you know uh, i mean icicles to a freaking eskimo i mean that's what he did you know and, and then like i said that funny thing is i think the pandemic helped them because uh players were transferring from other d1 schools and and they were able to get a schedule which those things may never have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic. Right. So, right. hey, genius move on the AD's part. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> right. So we've talked a lot about expansion. We also have some realignment coming next year uh, with the WCHA and the, the I guess, rebranding of the CCHA. Um, what are your thoughts on the CCHA coming back without the Michigans, Michigan States, Notre Dames, et cetera? Well, it's obviously very different, uh, you know, it's CCHA in name only. So, but it is what it is. I mean, Michigan Tech sort of owned the, some of the copyright or, and Bowling Green, actually. Mm. Yeah, the copyrights do a lot of that. So if they're involved and, in, uh, you know, more power to them, it, you know, I don't think anyone's under the delusion that it's going to be like the old CCHA, but it, it is what it is. So uh, it'll probably be a very solid league. I mean, the WCHA as it is now, sort of dragged down in a sense by the Alaska schools and Alabama Huntsville. Um, so not having them and adding St. Thomas, you know, fortify. I mean, that doesn't mean that everyone in the new CCHA is out of the woods. I mean, there's schools like Ferris State and Lake Superior State whose budgets are in fact great right now. Um, and the pandemic could not be helping that. But uh, so there's still that to deal with. But you know, so overall, we sh it'll be a solid league. It'll be, you know, every, every sport needs the powerhouse leagues and the mid-majors, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as everybody's on the same page. And that was the problem with like the old WCHA and the old CCHA is that, you know, you had these huge schools and small schools. And it was cool that they were all together. But as the sport grew, it was kind of unsustainable. So, you know, the way it is now is actually probably the right way, even though a lot of people still lament the fact that uh, you have the Big Ten hockey conference. Is it more of a geographical positive? Uh, the having, having, the, having the CCHA, the WCHA doesn't need to bring in from all right. over the country, and the CCHA can be more centralized, so that reduces travel costs to an extent. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's obviously one of the big reasons why they did it. They don't want to have to deal with flying to Alaska anymore. So Yeah. Um, and, and Alabama. So uh, and I think there's uh, still room for perhaps uh, some of those Atlantic hockey schools like uh, Mercyhurst and Robert Morris to maybe eventually, because they're much more geographically closer to you guys than they are to Bentley and, uh, you know, AIC and whatnot. I mean, it's like a seven hour drive from Bentley to uh, Robert Morris, maybe more than that. And, uh, but Robert Morris is pretty close to Bowling Green. So, 
Um, I, I think that uh, you may see those kind of things happen in the future. So we had the opportunity to talk with uh, uh, Coach Enrico Blase uh, a couple weeks back, and, and it was a great, great conversation. I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to that, but you know he seemed very anxious to get back uh, behind the bench. Uh, were you surprised he took an administrative job at Providence College and not uh, hold out to another coaching job? You know, uh, yes and no, only because, uh, as a matter of fact, another guy I owe a call to. Uh, I was supposed to talk to him last week. But things have been so crazy with all these postponements and everything, kind of putting it off. But I was going to ask him that very question. But I, I think that, uh, you know, there's only so many jobs. So I, I, not for a minute do I think this would prevent him from getting another job in the future. I mean, I, I'm sure if I had to bet, there's a clause in his deal. You know, if, if someone asks him to be head coach a year from now, he's gone. No, no hard feelings and no questions asked. So, um you know, I, I always tease him and tell him that Illinois is the perfect landing spot for him. All right. I need is a team. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, maybe that'll work out one day. It'll coincide perfectly. But um, yeah, I, so it doesn't surprise me that he that he took something. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that job entails, but uh, I know he wants to be a coach 100%. But, you know, you need a job. You got a family there. He's got kids in, uh, in uh, high school, I believe. So yeah, high school and college. Yeah. 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 So you got to feed your family. So, <laughs> so, so I guess, and here's, you know, the, the million dollar question, you know, with, with Nate Lehman away with the world juniors, <laughs> right. I mean, is, it does, does, does coach Blase step in to help out? That, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you know, the, the thing is they have like uh, this rock star coaching staff already. I mean, Ron Ralston coached in the NHL. He's an assistant in Providence. So I think they'll be all right <laughs> with Nate not there. Um, it is funny, though. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Rico stepped on the ice for some practices anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'll tell you, it was, it was a great conversation. He was, you know, he was, uh, we were very blessed to have him on the, on the podcast. But, yeah, and it was like a week later, wasn't it, Scott? A week, a week yeah. and a half later that he, yeah. he announced. And, and uh, uh, But, you know, we all the best of luck to, to Coach yeah. Blase there. Yeah, no, so we also spoke guy. with uh, not only Coach Blasey, but um, uh, Ty Eigner at Bowling Green was was on briefly after that. We're going to have uh, uh, Chris Bergeron on as a guest soon. We haven't had him on uh, for a full uh, full interview, but I did speak with him on the phone today. So um, pretty intense guy. <laughs> he was pretty yeah. fired up, ready to ready to get going. But there's kind of an interesting triumvirate there with those three yeah. and how their careers have, have overlapped or intersected anything. So we're, we're looking forward to talking to him at length. But um, just yeah, to hard, kind of look forward. It's hard to break down the curtain with uh, Bergeron there. He doesn't uh, – <laughs> he, he, I try to joke with him or whatever. He just he never – never he doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> well, it was funny. I called him, and, uh, yeah, he, he seemed like he was had better things to be doing. And, I you know, he had agreed to take the call. So I – I was trying to get to it, and then I have an app that records the conversation, and it didn't work. Oh. So I'm like, can I call you back in like an hour? He's like, yeah, uh, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> so I, I did, and he took the call, and it was he didn't say a whole lot, but what, after I asked him the first question, he just took off. Yeah, he's, he's, he he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He always yeah. talks to me, but he's just very, very doesn't, doesn't veer from the uh, from exactly the yeah line. But just to kind of look for it now, I know you said you're kind of the big picture guy at college hockey news. So uh, 
you, and you have, and it's interesting, the four NCAA teams in our coverage area, Ohio State, Bowling Green, Miami, Mercyhurst, four different conferences. So you would have four right. different writers that are covering them. So, True. Um, but to kind of look at the big picture and look forward to this season, um, you know, you look at Miami, um, where they are right now, they only had back-to-back -back wins on two occasions last year, only won eight games. Top two scorers graduate, senior goaltender graduates, but uh, talking to Coach Bergeron, um, it was really about putting some pieces in place and kind of getting the, getting the ship turned around and headed in the right direction, which can take longer with a college program than it does in the NHL because, you know, the NHL is set up to create parity and that's not how it works right. uh, with college hockey. But um, what do you think about the situation there in Miami with uh, the Red Hawks trying to get back into where Coach Bergeron clearly thinks they belong is in the national uh, discussion at the national level, but they're also clearly not right there. And he's very realistic about that as well. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, he did help sort of resurrect the Bowling Green program, um, you know, but they, they seem to like hit a ceiling where they couldn't quite, you know, they, they get that far. I mean, so it, and it's also, I'm not putting it down, but it's hard to tell with the WCHA, you know, the, the level of competition, just what it means to win those two. I mean, it's certainly good, but um, how he's going to be at a head coach as a head coach at Miami long-term is going to be a much bigger test of his uh, abilities. Now, of course, as you said, these guys are all connected. He, he, so he was the assistant coach at Miami when they were in their heyday. And so obviously he can recruit, um, so, and then that's the biggest issue because the downfall of Miami sort of coincided with a lot of the assistant coach turnover that they had, not just him, but uh, Jeff Blaschel and then Brent Brecky. And then, you know, just kind of went on and on um, for a while they sustained it, but then uh, it really kind of started to fall apart. And you know, you're only as good as really the assistants that are recruiting for you. And uh, but, you know, they had some misses. They had some guys leave early that didn't, they didn't have like in their heyday, they were always known for keeping guys. Uh, and for whatever reason, that started to change, like with Jack Roslovich and so on, uh, that would leave early. And um, so, you know, it, really, it's all the recruiting. If, uh, if they start getting the players back in, but that takes time because, you know, there's a changeover and, uh, you know, there's a new, a new guy there. I mean, the, these, these kids in junior hockey don't know Chris Bergeron is, that he was the that he was the assistant back when they went to the frozen floor. So, um, they, you know, it's going to take time to, to build that back up. And, and when there's a uh, head coaching change, yeah. uh, commit players can decommit, right. Right. Uh, or right. Easier. Uh, he mentioned there was some of that. Well, he, as well, he said, some of the players decommitted, they decommitted to some of the players. So they're in kind of this process where I think they have eight freshmen this year, but it probably won't even be until next year that the players that are coming in as freshmen, were recruited when he was the head coach because players commit so young these days. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, you look, uh, their roster really, you know, it, there's not only draft picks on it, which is unusual for them. Um, you know, you look at their recruits that again, I don't really follow the recruiting as, as closely as uh, some other people do, but just kind of the cursory knowledge. I mean, they have seemingly really good recruits in the pipeline, but, uh, 
you know, so th this year may be another kind of challenging year for them as they, as they build it back up, but uh, we're going to kind of get the top guys from Ohio. Not that Ohio is the hotbed that, you know, Massachusetts or Minnesota is or anything like that. Ohio is, uh, you know, you guys know it's come a long way. It has. And when they played in the Nash, that national championship game against uh, BU, I believe they had um, Trent Vogel, who you were from Columbus, Carter Camper from the Cleveland area, right. Alden Hirschfeld from the Toledo area. And I think right now they only have one Ohio born player on the team, right. and the backup goalie. But, you know, they are getting the, they're getting the Michigan, Illinois, uh, that footprint. I mean, that's, you know, if you can, if you can get that, I mean, I, I don't, you guys know better than me, but are there other Ohio players going elsewhere, I guess? Is yeah. I mean, there, there is, I mean, you, if we look at Merc Mercyhurst, you know, Mercyhurst, you have, uh, Georgie Fadulov, Ipri, um, you know, uh, BG, I think has a few, right. Uh, right. Yeah. They've got, I think their goalie is, uh, a Bowling Green kid or they have a Bowling Green. Well, they got Wells. Yeah, Wells is another one. There's a, there's a, there's a handful here. of Bowling Green. Robert Morris uh, with with uh, Spellacy and uh, my mind just went blank. Warmoth. Warmoth, yep. Yeah. So so we do have a lot of kids but, uh, in I'm the area. I'm Bowling Green's recruit list, and they've got all Ontario and uh, uh, Minnesota kids, a couple from uh, brothers from California, who I think are Nelson Emerson's sons. Yes. <laughs> and uh, – and uh and and right and and uh rob blake's son <laughs> yeah. so, um so two, two, two guys who years ago were instrumental in resurrecting the program back before they oh, almost yeah. got shut down yeah yeah no i mean i don't know how good their sons are i just you know i know the name so i'm like okay well that's good but you know if they're going to bowling green uh they're either bowling green is going to be amazing <laughs> in a few years or or they're just going there because their fathers went there i don't know and Ty Eigner was a big proponent of Minnesota high school hockey, so I'm sure they, they have a good pipeline there as well. Yeah, I um, mean, you know, I don't think uh, they're looking to get Ohio kids just to get Ohio kids, right? I mean, right. They want right. to get – they just want to be good. But, I mean, I guess my question is, do you guys know of, you know, stud Ohio players? If they're not going to Miami, then that maybe is a problem. But um, right. Or Ohio State. But – yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I think I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, you look at Columbus right now, Columbus uh, area. The youth hockey in Columbus area has jumped so far over the past five years with the talent. And, and that has a lot to do. That has a ton to do with a lot of the guys that retired from Columbus stay in the area. And, and they're just really doing a good job with those kids. So I, I would think in the next four years, you'll see a lot of Ohio kids coming out of the Columbus area that will probably be and, and I think that that would be a good, uh, you know, kind of a, a good, uh, you know, I, I don't know, an opportunity to see where these kids go. Do they go to Miami? Do they go to uh, Ohio State? Do they go to BG? Do they stick around the area? Because I would think in, in the next four or five years, you're going to see really good players coming up. Yeah, I would think so. And again, like you guys probably know better than me in that regard, but I mean, I, you know, I've seen that kind of pattern happen all over the place, and I know that Ohio is uh, an up-and-coming area. I mean, I dealt with it somewhat in Pennsylvania myself. I mean, uh, it was really never known as a college hockey hotbed here either, but, um, you know, Penn, there's always been a handful, and uh, Penn State is seemingly getting every good <laughs> uh, central and eastern Pennsylvania player there is now. 
And, uh, and now there's more of them because they see that as like the, the carrot, you know? And uh, there's, there's like two kids in, uh, from my town who are, who are at Penn State right now. And uh, that was never the case before. So it's, uh, it, it, that's what happens when you, when you build a good program in an area. And that's why, that's why I always like hate when people bash on like the, uh, I bash on Gary Bettman for a lot of things, but like when he expanded the NHL to the, to the South, to the Sunbelt, um, to me, that was the greatest thing ever. I mean, those places, I mean, would, would Austin Matthews be in the NHL if the Coyotes didn't exist? I mean, you, you can't put enough emphasis on that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the best marketing that there is. Right. Right. Well, Hey, listen, Adam, you've, you've given us more information than I think we've, we can absorb at this point. It's, and it's been tremendous. Um, we appreciate you coming on our podcast. Uh, what's the name of your podcast again? So our listeners can uh, join you. Yeah. It's uh, just search for college hockey news on any of the podcasts or we call it the college CHN insiders podcast. So, um, but we're, you know, wherever you, wherever software you're using, just search for that. Or you can go to collegehockeynews.com and the, the link to it is in the top right of the page. So, and, uh, yeah, w- when we're talking Ohio hockey, we'll have you guys on with us. That'd be perfect. Oh, uh, would love, would love <laughs> to do it for sure. Adam, thanks for your time. Thanks for your information. It's a lot of fun and, uh, uh, you know, keep in contact with us and we'll do the same. You got it, man. All right. Thanks, Adam. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. With reasonable fees, transparency, athletic development that's prep players for all teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success, both on and off the ice. Go to TeamOhio.com to learn more. Well, guys, what an unbelievable hour we just had uh, with Adam from uh, College Hockey News talking about uh, the college game. We, we speak a lot about high school, uh, youth, pro level, uh, but we really don't dive into the college game as much as we probably should, and hopefully we will as now college is back. Adam forgot more about college hockey than we all know on the Zoom, and it was great to learn more about college hockey from his, his uh, perspective. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think when he talks about, I think one of the things that got me was, and he was like, well, yeah, I just pulled up Bowling Green's recruit list. Like, how do you just pull that up? Right? <laughs> I, the other thing I found interesting is when we went over the, I guess the, uh, the, the, where in the map college hockey could spurt up, if you will. And he's throwing out uh, Washington and Oregon and he names UNLV and he talks about the West coast teams. And how, I mean, it makes sense, but us being closer to East, you're not thinking UCLA. Oh, hell, the hell you're not. You mean to now tell you me are? You, no, you wouldn't tell me you wouldn't go to Southern California. On a I would go to you. I would go to UNLV. I right knew you're going to say that. I knew you were going to say <laughs> because that. Because why wouldn't? Why wouldn't? Well, exactly. You know, when you talked about having uh, the ACHA programs, then forming Division One programs. All right. He talked about you need to have an arena. You have one. Actually, you have two in Las Vegas. You have Las Vegas. You have the uh, Golden Suns. You've got the sun. You've got got the strip. You've got the atmosphere. Right. And that's dangerous. And uh, Arizona State's proven that there's some dangerous territory there too, but they seem to be doing okay. So just his knowledge of college hockey, knowledge of the coaches, the inside stuff, that's stuff you can't get anywhere. And you go to College Hockey News, you're going to get that taste of that inside information that the hockey fan looks for. 
and, and that was it was cool to talk to him. You're division, cool your division him. one prospect, and you have USC, UNLV, and I don't know, some, somewhere like, I don't know. I hate to say this because I don't know anything about the program, but Long Island University. Right? And, and I'm not, I'm not dog in Long Island University. Trust me, I'm not. He was. No, I know he was, but I'm not, right? No. So you've got yeah. those three schools. Yeah. I know where I'm going. It sure the hell ain't Long Island. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I know there's a lot of money to start up a D1 program with, you know, you have to do a certain level arena you know that you have to have and all that but i can't believe that you can't make money usc ucla that taking that rivalry onto the ice Come florida on. florida oh. state if i and recall correct, if, I, if, I re- if i recall correctly usc and ucla both have acha teams they do yeah. they do so imagine and now yeah. now put that on a grand scale put that on, how much money do you think you can if you're making right. money at the acha level for with that uh tandem Imagine what you could do at a division one, Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, and there are those areas, they have NHL teams. So people know hockey now, but they're also, there's a lot of hockey players coming out of California, Texas, and Florida. now. Well, Scott, I mean, Scott, o- Oklahoma is always in the ACHA division one national tournament and they yeah. do really well. Yeah. They do really well. I mean, so, you look at, you look at the fan bases of the junior teams in those areas, the, the they're sellouts every night. So, so the market is there to make those moves, to make that money. This, yeah, I've been saying this for years. I think the power conferences with hockey, I think, is the sleeping giant of college sports. I think it's it could just be huge. Who, who told us that that uh, the North American Hockey League is way different in Texas than it is up north? Almost E-Mac Bentley. Yep. E-Mac Bentley, you're right. Yep. Yes. He said it is absolutely different in a more, I mean, sold out. Again, they fight more down there, but whatever. But sold out every night. Yeah. I mean, hockey lives. Listen, I'm going to say right now, hockey lives in the South. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, so, so it, it, no, it, was, it was great to have that inside information and and even, even throwing a little more insight into the, you know, Enrico going to uh, Providence and, and Bergeron's, climb he has to make in Miami and just to get that information and, and my god he sat there and rattled that off like the three of us or four of us sit here and rattle yeah. off how the weather looks outside their windows it's it impressive well well that's impressive the weather outside the windows not but no. um well hey guys what a great show this brings episode 30 of on air to a close I cannot believe it's been 30 episodes it's been fun management you're on we thank you for it no, I thank you. I thank the talent for pulling this together. Uh, you guys hey, do a fantastic job. I like the it's fact a lot that, of work doing this. Hey, I like fun, the though. I like the fact that he's saying, I've been talking about this for years. Well, maybe you should have a podcast and come on and talk about it. <laughs> well, we want to thank Adam Woden of College Hockey News for joining us this week. You can find the on air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes and archives, as well as lists of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continuing to grow the game as best as we can, this is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.